Hello, welcome to Crosscut Talks. I'm Paris Jackson, the host of Crosscut Now on KCTS 9 and the host for this podcast. For this episode, we are listening in on a conversation with the panel of Washington State education advocates from Seattle Public Schools, Washington STEM, and the state superintendent's office. The conversation is moderated by Angela Jones of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and took place during the Crosscut Ideas Festival. The speakers here are Kelvin Donqua, Angie Mason-Smith, and Rebecca Wallace. The group talks about the Education to Work pipeline, outlining the challenges facing students and the ways they're not being best prepared for life after high school. Wallace, from the Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction, suggests that there needs to be a better effort made to let students know that there are multiple pathways to success after high school graduation, that the idea of one shoe fits all is failing students and their families. The panel gets into what's called adult bias in education and how it affects students' belief and what they can achieve after graduation, and that the solution to better outcomes for students post-graduation may lie in a more holistic approach in education. Support for this and all other conversations on the equity track of the Crosscut Ideas Festival comes from Waldron. Access to free, trustworthy media is crucial. Waldron supports Crosscut's independent journalism to keep us informed, engaged, and activated. Waldron empowers people to achieve their purpose with sound information. I hope you enjoy this poignant conversation. If you have any feedback, please send it to talks at crosscut.com. Now let's get into it. Well, good morning and welcome to the Crosscut Festival. My name is Angela Jones and I have the privilege of leading the Washington State Initiative for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, where we focus on strengthening the transition space between high school and post-secondary pursuits. Um, I do always tell folks though, I am an educator who is in the field for 25 years who happens to be in philanthropy. Um, origin story though is also important to me. I am from Snohomish County, uh, but I lived in Eastern Washington for 30 years and worked in higher education and in the K-12 classroom before returning um, to Seattle in 2019. I am driven by my desire to be a good ancestor. And I made a lot of promises to 16 year old Angela who was pretty fierce, um, who had to fight to use Toni Morrison's works in her advanced placement English class. And that version of Angela decided she would change the world through education. So I continue to channel her. I am super excited today to moderate the panel and be in the company of some of our state's incredible change makers. And so a little bit about them. Joining me today is Kelvin Donkwa, who serves as a mentoring program coordinator in the Office of African American Male Achievement at Seattle Public Schools. He and his colleagues program, Whole Mentoring, connects black male high school students with early college and career exposure, as well as mentorship. He also works to identify and eliminate barriers to internships and advanced coursework by collaborating with community, corporate partners, and district leadership. Angie Mason-Smith is also joining us, and she serves as program director at Washington STEM, where she helps create equitable access to STEM education and post-secondary pathways in Washington State. And last but certainly not least, 
Becky Wallace is the Assistant Superintendent at the Office of the Superintendent of Public Instruction and focuses on secondary education and pathway preparation. So welcome uh, to all of you who are joining me um, on the cyber stage uh, this morning. So excited to have you here. Um, to kick off this conversation, I'm going to ask each of you to do a brief introduction of who you are and what your role is at your organization. And in terms of order, why don't we go Calvin, Becky, and then Angie. Awesome. Um, Angela, thank you so much. Just also want to thank um, Crosscut Ideas Festival for having us and being in space with these esteemed professionals. So um, yeah, my name is Kelvin Donkwa. I work as a mentoring program coordinator in the Office of African-American Male Achievement. And um, <laughs> I love saying this, but I have the blackest job in the world. So um, I run a mentoring program called Whole Mentoring and Whole stands for With Hope Our Lives Excel. And my job is pretty much to connect students to post-secondary opportunities or exposure, as well as provide them with mentorship so that they feel comfortable moving into the next space of life. Um, some highlights that we've had this year were we went to Microsoft and toured there, talked to black professionals there and every student got laptops, We've toured with the Seahawks and actually for spring break this year, we took 16 African-American students to HBCUs in Virginia. And so I get a job that um, allows me to do some of the things that I would have benefited from uh, if I was still a high school student. So super blessed to be here. Kelvin, I'm joining your program. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I'm the foundation and I'm joining your program. Uh, Becky, let's jump to you. Yeah, good morning. And um, following Kelvin and his excitement, I work for the State Education Agency, uh, OSPI. And statutorily, we're the agency that has the primary charge and responsibility over the K-12 education system. So uh, my work centers around supporting secondary schools in that lengthy title that I have, middle schools and high schools across the state, trying to ensure that the transformation that's necessary in the education system to make our vision a reality, uh, that all students are prepared for post-secondary pathways and careers in civic engagement um, becomes true for each and every one of the students that we serve. Um, the position that I hold is supportive of a team of leaders that are focused on the secondary, just secondary education content, career and technical education, um, graduation pathway support, so how students learn, what students learn, and how we support those students in learning through counseling, through their high school beyond plan completion, through dual credit access. Um, and then I also support learning options team. So where our students learn. So some of our students learn best online. Some of our students learn best um, at what would be traditionally considered alternative uh, places. And we get the opportunity to make sure in the resource stewardship that we are making data-driven decisions and resource allocations in support of uh, all students, irrespective of who they are, how they want to learn, what they need to learn, um, and driving out those resources to those that are doing the good work locally in school. So Echo Kelvin, pleasure to be with you all today, and I'm excited about the conversation. Thanks, Becky. Angie, round us off. Yes, thank you. Uh, I uh, really appreciate being here in this space today. Um, I uh, work for Washington STEM, which is a statewide education uh, nonprofit that is really leveraging STEM for social change, removing the barriers uh, for credential attainment, uh, and really creating pathways for lifelong economic security, um, specifically for historically ex excluded students. Um, we do that through uh, through partnership, uh, through direct service, uh, and through policy, really working at the local level, uh, supporting local networks to understand where barriers to access are uh, and how we can those lift those up to, to policy change. 
We really focus on uh, early learning through K-12 um, and career pathways, and uh, I'm lucky to uh, to lead the career pathways uh, body of work. So excited to be here. Thank you. I, I hope the audience could hear the different altitudes at which you're working. The state agency looking to drive change, um, you know, nonprofit organization working in community in all the intersections, and then in the in the school. Um, district itself. And so just appreciate how you all are driving that. And I want to start at that state altitude. And so Becky, I'm coming your way um, to think about context. When we think about the education to work pipeline, you know, th there are two numbers that stick out to me. One is that 70% of adults in Washington state have a, some type of credential. But when you look at our Washington students at only about you know, now 50%, you know, go from high school to directly enroll, whether it's apprenticeship, two-year, four-year, can you talk about, um, you know, some of those challenges and, and, and your perspective on how we can ensure that our students have a path forward? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, we know that the first primary credential of value that a student can get is their high school diploma. And right now, if we look at the last class we graduated, 2022, on a four-year cohort, the students that started together and finished within four years were at 82.3%. Of those 82.3%, 31% are going to a four-year university, 19% are going to a two-year, which means 50% are not enrolled in continuing education. Um, after year one, so we look at access, uh, we have to look at completion. So after year one, of that 31% in a four-year, only 84% persist into their second year. In the 19% category, doing going to a CTC, a community technical college, 58% of folks persist. And so I think um, those numbers are important because when we talk about our students exiting the secondary system and being ready, we don't just mean ready for persistence and success at four year. We don't just mean two year, but we've had this kind of ongoing pendulum shifts in the education system where we, where we kind of have knee jerk reactions. And instead of centering what is best for a student and putting a lot of energy and effort into communicating the multiple pathways where a student can can see themselves in a career of their choosing um, we really either go university for all and anytime we talk about workforce or apprenticeship it tends to be the pendulum the other way where we're almost diminishing the role of, of higher education yeah. and that's false it's it's a false narrative and it's not fair um, and it's not equitable for students and it's certainly not fair for their families so when I think about um, paths after high school if we can lift up the communication around what is it what does it look like if a student wants to pursue a military pathway there's there's where washington state is a military state right we have lots of opportunities and there's civilian jobs that await that have transferable skill sets from what they learn through service um, if a student wants to see themselves as a nurse are we communicating that at some point higher education is part of your future to get to that endpoint? But it doesn't have to be the most immediate step. You can get your certified nursing assistant credential as a high school student. You can go into an employment. You can do continued education. You could go through an apprenticeship. Ultimately, to get to your endpoint, you will enroll in a four-year university. But being able to honor that, it needs to be the best what's best fitting for that student, right? So I think honoring student agency and choice is something that we're really interested in the state education agency. And what that looks like for us is trying to support policies and advocacy so that locally school districts are able to support students to have learner-centered course catalogs, to have an education system that if a kid is ready to go to a four-year university as a sophomore or junior, they get access to Running Start, that's paid for and there's no cost to the family, right? Um, equity is about being able to push flexibility in, in, 
in the credit attainment and how a student learns and honoring the way that that student learns um, without ever diminishing that the path they choose, they have to know all of the options to make the best choice for them. And what we tend to do is default to, you know, what is most restrictive? Uh, university admittance, right? So if we tailor towards university admittance, um, then any other door should be open. But what that's done is a student doesn't know about an apprenticeship. Um, they don't know that there are there are big employees in Washington State that will hire a student and pay for their continuing education. And that's all exceptionally important. So honoring, um, again, student agency, making sure that we're clear that you don't have to you know, diminish one pathway to lift another um, in service of all students is really, really important to us. Thank you, Becky. And I, I come from a family where everybody, almost everybody except me actually got their credentials and degrees after joining the military through the military VA benefits. So um, really appreciate that. Angie, I'm coming your way and I think Becky teed you up around student agency. Um, can you talk about, you know, both how and why student voice drives the work that Washington STEM leads? Yeah, um, yeah, I think, you know, thank you, Becky. I think you, you teed that up uh, uh, really, uh, really well. Cause I think, especially when we're talking about career pathways, I think we know like, the saying, if you build it, they will come, doesn't necessarily exist. Uh, so really being mindful of, um, you know, students have this unique strengths, interest, interests, goals in how they want to pursue, pursue their careers and what those individual needs are. They also need to feel that relevancy um, in it to understand where that opportunity uh, really is there uh, for them to see and to see themselves in it. And we also know that our students come from a diverse background and they have a range of experiences and perspectives and aspirations. Um, and by involving them early on in developing those pathways and having conversations and community um, and really co-designing it with them, it gives them that agency in understanding what they want to do and what those opportunities are. Uh, we're you know, deep in a project right now at Washington STEM that we're calling our high school to post-secondary project. Uh, that really is, um, we, we're, we're kind of calling this 90-60 phenomenon where uh, we've done these deep dives and surveys to schools where we're hearing from students that about 90% of the students have those aspirations for post-secondary opportunities, whether that's apprenticeship, one-year, two-year certificate, two-year, four-year college. They have those aspirations. What we're seeing is many adults believe that they don't, that only about 60% of those students have those aspirations. Um, and I think that goes to kind of what, what Becky said of like, of a four-year degree or nothing, right? And so, um, and then what we see is that the reflection of the number of students that are going to post-secondary opportunities reflects really what that student or what that adult bias in the building is. So how do we address that adult bias and knowledge? Because they're also saying, we want that information for a trusted adult. So how do we ensure that all those trusted adults in the school understand those varieties of pathways and are leading students uh, through um, not a biased lens and are helping kind of lift uh, those different varieties of, of opportunities. And so uh, we really lean on and use that student voice to kind of drive that work to, to building those, um, those pathways and opportunities. That's a stark difference in number. 90% say that they want to pursue something after high school and 60% of adults or, or adults think it's a, a lower number. 
what what a disconnect there. And I often tell people like we're talking, we're, we keep talking about systems level change. How do we change systems? But we're the adults perpetuating the system. So how do we change through with input from students? And so Calvin, yeah. coming your way is you work so closely with students. Um, can you talk about the work you're leading, you know, to ensure that the challenges that we're talking about are not insurmountable obstacles for the students? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I think back to even before I started um, hearing about the job that I have right now, like our office was constructed off the voices of our students. And so constructing these listen and learning campaigns with family and community was integral to everything that we've done in our office. And so we live by this model of nothing about us without us, meaning that anything that we do for our students are, uh, we have to take the, the voices of our students into every space that we go to. So anytime I plan an event, Every event that I've planned has been um, based off of the requests and suggestions of our of our youth. And um, so often, like we've um, heard on this call, that it's us leading and driving uh, the things in, in our district. And there's no burden on these kids to try to create curriculum or whatever that means. But um, we have to incorporate their voice. And so um, what's awesome is our office has really done a good job of getting students in space. And so um, I am one of uh, a big team here at Seattle Public Schools or a small, it's relatively small, but I call it a big team because we have big goals and we do big things. And so, um, yeah, we have a student leadership council that speaks directly with our board. Um, we have people in our office that lead the work to ensure that on the tri days, which are at the beginning of the school years, which is like a district wide training that our students are talking directly to administration and uh, to, to district leadership, because it's important. I also um, have the pleasure of saying that um, district leadership has been incredibly involved when it comes to uh, um, hearing out the voices of our students and allowing space for them to be um, with us. And so um, it's been it's been really awesome to be able to have students step into space. Also, we don't silo our work, right? Because this is a big system that we're trying to change. And so it takes a lot of people in the room. So personally, I um, collaborate with the CTE department as well as the advanced cor uh, coursework team. And everything that I suggest in those meetings come from the voices of our students. When we're thinking about like, hey, how do we get more students in advanced coursework? We, um, my, me and my colleague, Will King, have gone to schools and uh, conducted listen and learning campaigns with students that have done advanced coursework and some of the barriers that they've seen, whether that feels, um, with, with, um, some of the things that they've echoed is, like not feeling um, included in the room or feeling um, deprioritized in the room. And so that is a huge barrier that they also tell their colleagues. And so it's like, if students are hearing, this is the environment for a student like me in these in these type of classrooms, I'm not gonna wanna be there. And so taking that information and bringing that into the to this advanced coursework team allows us to be better. Um, when it comes to our CTE department, uh, our CTE department is asking us, hey, what are some barriers to some of the internship or externship opportunities that we offer. And so last year we had um, this Amazon externship that was um, being piloted. And this year we have an 82% increase in applicants because we are taking in the voices of our students, right? We're actually hearing about what are some barriers? What could we have done better? And that is leading the charge in all the work that we do. Um, I think that it's, it's really telling that we have such a big increase when we start listening to our students and once again, it's not it's not their job to educate us. However, if they feel like they have the voice, we do always want to create space for them to speak when they feel like it is unnecessary. I, I love what you just said. It's not their job to educate us. 
And I also heard you call them colleagues and I'm loving that. <laughs> I'm loving that. So, so even though I'm moderating, I'm, I'm listening and learning today too. Yeah. Uh, Kelvin, you're going to get about 10 seconds. I'm going to come back to you. Uh, but first I want to talk to our friends in cyberspace. I'm um, just a reminder to all of you watching at home that we are going to be taking uh, some of your questions. So please be sure to enter them um, into the chat. And for the team on the panel, we probably got time for me to ask you one more question before we make, make space for that. Um, and so I'm going to go now backwards. So I'm going back to Kelvin. Uh, you know, listening to you, and even just like starting when I read your bio, I could feel the passion. You know, your love for your work is palpable. <laughs> and, you, and you obviously lead with both head and heart. So if you were looking into the future, can you paint a picture for all of us of what you hope education would be like for your students, those colleagues, five to yeah. 10 years from now? My, my homies. <laughs> um, homies. No, I, I think that um, what I really hope for is I hope that our goals would become the goals of our, uh, would be the same goals of our students. Um, so often um, we're in these spaces where we're pushing um, these programs that a lot of students aren't asking for, right? Um, we're asking students to engage in a lot of content that they might not want. Um, I, every time I enter a space um, to, to kind of let kids like drop their, their guard, I ask students, I'm like, yo, let's be real. How many of y'all feel that th the things that you're learning right now, you'll use five years from now? And none of them raise their hand and then i'm just like whoa like okay we want to make sure that you're you're well-rounded and so i would hope that some of these things that you would use but a lot of students they they're like yo this is what i want i want to learn about financial literacy i want to learn about real estate i want to learn about entrepreneurship i i want to learn about things that will carry me through um even when i am in high school and so when I'm in these spaces and we're talking about how do we get more kids in advanced coursework, I'm like, okay, how do we celebrate kids who are in CTE though? How do we celebrate celebrate kids who are taking honors classes? How do we celebrate kids that are in running start versus AP versus or IB classes? Like a lot of these students are finding different ways and um, want different outcomes for their lives. And so it's like when we're creating the outcomes that we want to see for them, that's not, that's when their education doesn't feel like their own. That's when it's hard to wake up in the morning and be like, okay, I have to go to school because because I literally have to and not because I'm building a foundation for my future. And so um, that's what I'm really hoping for. I'm hoping that the goals that we set are things that our students really ask for. And it really, once again, I, I graduated high school in 2015. And so I'm not too far away, I want to believe. But um, I remember um, things being stigmatized in the classroom, like trade work was incredibly stigmatized. And um, the, the pressure that students felt to join AP or IB, whatever that may be. I just, we want students to contribute to society. And we got to show them that there, is, that there is more than one way to do that. We'll be back with more after this. At Amazon, there's a way up for anyone because there's something for everyone. Like Jessica, who completed free technical training programs and is getting her bachelor's with Amazon's prepaid tuition. Even if you have no knowledge or no experience in IT, Amazon has the tools and the resources to teach you. I've been promoted three times and it's been a significant boost in pay for me. Free technical training programs at Amazon move full-time and part-time employees into higher paying jobs. Visit aboutamazon.com for more info. Becky, I'm going to come to you. Um, you know, at the state level that you're working at, you've got to work amidst all of the politics. And I know that can be hard. What do you wish the average Washington resident knew about your work and the work of the agency? 
<clears throat> well, first of all, I hope that the online participants are just starting a slow and building like power clap for Kelvin, right? Because <laughs> the energy is, is <laughs> it, it can be, it transcends the screen, my friend, it transcends the screen. So I think um, something that is important to me, um, I know even when I was in the classroom, I was very unclear about the role of the Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction. As a parent, um, I don't know that I was always clear on the role of our state education agency. Um, and so what I would just share is that uh, it's a it's a strategic goal of our agency under the strong leadership of the superintendent, uh, Chris Rakedahl and his team, um, that we provide committed, unified and customer focused service. And when we talk about customers, we're thinking about our school districts, we're thinking about our students, we're thinking about our families, we're thinking about community-based organizations. And I love the makeup of this panel, Angela, you spoke to that. Um, if the pandemic taught us anything, um, it's that we don't have all of the answers in one part of our system. Right. We have such a high level of intersectionality um, and community and the ecosystem that to really, truly serve a student as an individual and get them what they need. No one part of our system can own that. Right. And so really honoring and lifting up if we could have hundreds of Kelvins in every single school district, how much better would that be in service to all of our students? We're not there yet. We don't have a teacher workforce that looks like our students. We're not there yet. We don't have the resources to get every kid that what they need. We're not there yet. Not every parent can navigate the system and every parent wants to do the best for their child. So I think we really feel critically that our role um, is not just advocacy, it's not just interpreting legislative policy, it's not just trying to demystify things for school districts as they seek to implement the ever-changing policies that come, but it's driving mean meaningful supports out to our customers that center the needs of students. Um, and we're always open to feedback to how to do that better um, because I think we, we share the passion of what our state can look like um, and we are not there yet. So the transformation that's necessary in the education system only comes when we work together um, and are responsive to needs. So appreciate the question. And I am just thinking of, I already, I already can call Angie, but Kelvin's about to get a lot of phone calls from me trying to make some connections. So um, yeah, thanks for the question. We're all going to be channeling Kelvin every day on, on our way while we're at work. Um, Angie, last question for you before we go to the Q&A. Um, I've heard you and your colleagues talk about creating well-lit post-secondary pathways for students. What does that look like for you? Yeah, um, I, uh, I say that often, and I think it's a, a big piece is, is we start to see this like this shift to talk about, you know, pathways. And sometimes it feels like we're telling our young students to pick a pathway now and here are the steps that you need to take um, to be successful. And sometimes we aren't helping understand like how every step along that path allows you to gain transferable skills that might open a different door and uh, might allow you to go through one door and open three more. And so really understanding that uh, the goal isn't just to go step by step, but it's really to create these lifelong learners where they are able to see themselves um, continuously growing and understanding what their goals are and also understanding how, you know, life changes. Let's say a pandemic happens, right, where your career goals are set and you have to make pivots and shifts to be able to understand those 
really important transferable skills that you learned each way uh, to be able to, to set you up to, to make those shifts and pivots and continue to, to grow towards family sustaining wages. Uh, you know, so it's really that, that idea that, um, you know, the path is well lit but those kids are still taking those steps that they want to step and are taking the directions that they want to take and that the adults in the spaces understand and know and can help guide them uh, to those variety of opportunities and kind of show them the way, but are really listening uh, to the paths that those students want to take. I appreciate that. I, I think about my own 17 year old is finishing his junior year who his plan for life after high school is um, not not as aligned with mine as I thought it would be. And now we're adjusting to his needs. Um, mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm, I'm getting a whole therapy session from you all today. Uh, let's go into the to the Q&A. And um, I am not going to take them in order because there's one that I think I am going to answer first. And it's from Donna. And it's uh, Kelvin talked about listening to student voices and giving them agency in decisions and programs that affect them. Um, one part that I want you all to list for is how are the rest of you listening to students? But the other part of the question, which is the one I'm gonna take, is why didn't you include a student on the panel? And Donna out there in cyberspace, I want you to know that the minute we started doing intros, I was like, oh man, we missed a moment here to have a student on the panel. I missed it. When I was working with, with Jake, you know, behind the scenes to figure out what this could look like, you know, I missed it. And so those are the things like how do we how do we channel Kelvin and, and keep you know those things front and center that students are not the leaders of tomorrow, they're leading now. Their occupation just happens to be student. And how do we as adults make space for that? But to the first part of Donna's question, um, you know, Kelvin, I know we've heard from you a bit on that. So maybe I'd ask, um, and we've heard a little bit from you, Angie. So Becky, maybe I'll ask you at the state level, like how are you hearing student voices? Yeah, a variety of ways. I would say one of the, um, the scheduled uh, consistent is that the superintendent meets regularly with uh, youth panels um, to take feedback and has worked quite a lot about this conversation about what's a, what are a student's set of rights, right? What do they have the right to um, when they exist in, in the education system and how are we centering it? Um, our, one of our strategic goals is learner-centered options and for us to be able to drive our decision-making, we have to know what that means. Um, and it's not the place of the adult to, to guess, right? Because we default to our own educational experience and, and pick the good stuff that we wanna replicate and address the bad stuff in, in various ways. So. Uh, the superintendent meets regularly and then I would say there's a multiple different I would call it programmatic focus so um, for our migrant bilingual students there is student groups that meet with leadership that lead that area to specifically take feedback both from parents and from students um, in career and technical education there's state career and technical student organization students that are leaders um, that meet with our office staff regularly so across the agency there's multiple ways uh, we're, we're doing youth related surveys, uh, we're in schools a lot, um, and, and trying to, again, center the voice of the student. And then we rely a lot on, on schools and their systems that they use to elevate student voice um, and our community-based partners. Uh, we, we know through um, the pandemic that the role of community-based organizations was lifted up um, and empowered and, and was funded through federal ESSER investments. And that gave us another really good opportunity to really get the voices um, elevated in a way that was more meaningful, maybe in some of the structures we used previously. 
I, I love that. And I, um, I'm so curious about the student rights uh, piece. Would love to see that at some point, Becky. That's pretty great. Um, Angie, I'm going to send the next question your way. And it's from Kate. And it's, could there be coordination between all of these programs so the baton gets passed from early childhood education all the way to work? Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, that, that is... Uh, uh, that is defining the work that that Washington STEM is doing and desires to do, understanding um, the need for early learning uh, work and those indicators at that good quality um, uh, child care at an early age uh, and increasing those workforce efforts and being able to understand that that sets kids up for that next piece, um, you know, where they're starting to do career explore and understand what those opportunities are early and often um, and getting those robust, you know, CTE uh, opportunities at the at the high school level and really understand that. So really trying to try to connect that uh, cradle to career you know, really thought of understanding that um, that especially for those uh, that are historically disadvantaged, right, you continue to just build on those disadvantages. And so being able to address those early and often so that we can start to see those shifts um, and changes. And so a lot of the work that, that we are doing now um, is starting to uh, continue to engage in regions and understand um, who is doing that work really well in the region to be able to lift and coordinate it and align it uh, with folks doing really well in other areas. And so um, helping folks understand they don't need to be the one individual solving all the issues, but how do you bring those right people uh, together to the table together to convene um, and, and make bigger uh, kind of advances and goals and align those efforts uh, together? Um, so I think that is a big piece of kind of the work that we're doing aligned with, you know, our agency partners and our community-based organizations uh, to be able to really uh, to do that and inform for what needs to be those policy recommendations that come out of those, um, those systems. So it's like you're helping them build this village and everybody understand what's the superpower you bring. And as, you know, the, the caller asks, like, how do you help the students really transition along? I, I appreciate that. Kelvin, I'm coming your way with a question from Cheryl. And she asked it probably much nicer than I'm gonna say it, but like, how do we help adults get out of the way? To let, to let them really lead? How do, how do we get out of the way? Yeah, um, <laughs> I think that what I've seen from leadership um, in the district that I'm in is this incredible humility. There's, there's um, willingness to want to learn more and to hear from our students and to create space. And so um, I work with highly esteemed professionals every single day, just like this panel, right? Um, I have only been in education for about a year and a half, maybe two-ish years, but I'm surrounded by doctors and people with PhDs. And if they can break down their barriers so that students can have a space to um, share their voice, then I don't definitely can too. And I've seen, I've had that modeled by my director, um, uh, Dr. Williams by Superintendent Jones and for all, a lot of the leadership at Seattle Public Schools. And so um, one thing that I see uh, happening at Seattle Public Schools is that um, we understand that this is a huge ecosystem that we're trying to change. Um, however, it's like, how do we ingrain systems or a culture that creates space for these students to speak? How do we create a culture that creates um, students for um, to lead the charge in a lot of the things that we do? Oftentimes, like you wouldn't think of um, space for students to speak 
at a board meeting, but that space is now being uh, created. Um, oftentimes you wouldn't think about um, space for a student to talk about um, how do we incorporate um, social justice practices within the classroom, but that space is being created. We um, have even some curriculum that we're building through Black Studies and other, and other um and other courses to create spaces so that social justice is at the forefront of everything that we do. And so it's all about really one, uh, humbling ourselves as the adults in the room, um, but also making sure that in everything that we do, we are creating space, we are creating a culture where um, kids have a say. Appreciate that. And again, every time you talk, I'm like, okay, I'm channeling, I'm gonna channel <laughs> on something else. Um, I, there's a great question in here, and I know we only have about 10 minutes left, but um, from Mark, who says, I'd love to know a personal story from the panelists. Perhaps who is one student that comes to mind that really benefited from your efforts that keeps you driving to do more? And that's for that question. I really am posing to all three of you. It's a great question. Yeah. Whoever wants to go first. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna answer this. Um, whew, we did say we're shared therapy this morning, right? This is so therapy. Just a conversation yes. around. Um, I probably can name more students that I feel like I didn't serve that drive me every day than the mm -hmm. ones that I know I met. So my time, I was in the classroom for about ten years, and. Um, probably my accelerated advanced students are who got less of my attention. And I mean that in a way that um, what drove me to be a teacher had little to do with content. Um, I wanted to teach kids and I wanted to make sure that if they had never been told that they had value, if they didn't have hope, if they couldn't see themselves somewhere, that's the role that I could play. So I think about like, what, what are times in the classroom that I would got so focused on a learning standard and um, that I that I might have not spent enough time knowing knowing the kid. I, I can say an absolute transparency. I put a lot more time, energy and effort into um, giving students space than I ever have <laughs> in management of adults. It is a thing I work on um, at a lot of grace for students because I think they're um, I mean, they're our future, right? And I experienced uh, really having a supportive family um, and having a lot of opportunity to fail in a safe place. And what I saw in the students that I served is that they were 15, 16 years old and had not had that. So I think about um, every day when I talk, and I talk a lot of smack, okay? Like when I talk about transforming education systems, it is with the direct honesty of those that are not being served. So when I talk about policies that are used to for, for students in deficit, but not to accelerate. When I talk about resource allocation, um, and it sounds like I am being judgmental of the education system, it is because I think about the students um, that didn't get the services they needed and what how different their life could have looked mm -hmm. um, and how long it has taken for them to recover from that. So um, for all of my high achieving, you know, that probably didn't need me a whole lot, my Michaela's, my Olivia's in the world, um, there's my Marvin's and there's my Alex's that, that I just felt like in the time that I had, couldn't give them what they needed. Thank you, Becky. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Angie, do you want to go with you and then we'll go to Calvin? Sure. Um, uh, yeah, I will, I'll share, share, and it's kind of my, my origin story into, to, um, education is, um, I actually spent 15 years uh, working in college athletics. Um, and so I was a learning specialist uh, uh, for college football. 
Um, and it is when uh, I really learned, to, to be completely honest, a lot about my privilege and my upbringing, uh, especially as a white woman. Uh, I saw specifically what our system was doing to these black, black and brown boys where, um, you know, more than likely well-intended white women like myself, uh, passing them through the system in hopes that this athletic ability pulled their family out of poverty. And I saw these kids get to the uh, get to a college level with low skills um, in the expectation that they were going to make it to the league and understanding that wasn't the reality and what would happen. Um, and I spent a lot of time in that space pointing down at the education system uh, and really feeling, uh, you know, kind of shame on you. Um, and when I had my son uh, eight years ago and realized I couldn't keep up that lifestyle, lifestyle uh, I packed up my my transferable skills and made a pivot, uh, like I talked about in in Pathways, um, and uh, and shifted to education with the desire to help really push on the system so that all students understand they have a variety of opportunities and pathways, uh, and then as us as adults aren't selecting them for them, uh, and and really uh, prioritizing how important. Um, that is uh, to be able to create those equitable pathways, but also that all kids see themselves in their future and what they want they want to do. That hits me right in the heart. I spent a lot of time with athletes trying to help them figure out their path to success as well. Thank you, Angie. Yeah. Calvin, how about for you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I work with, I, I have the luxury of being able to work with students. Um, on a weekly basis. Like I, I can think of, I can rattle off names like Jarvey, Lorenzo, Ibrahima, Ibrahim, um, Solomon, Zach, like just students that have been able to navigate a system that was never built to um, exude um, their brilliance and excellence. Students that have gone um, like beyond above and beyond and are transcendent um, amongst their peers. Like these are students that have dedicated so much of their um, their lives to building up and doing as much as they absolutely can to reach their full potential. But um, they keep me going. Um, but I'm going to try not to get emotional. Um, my little brother. This is therapy. You get emotional. I have a little brother who's um, 16. He's turning 17 in a couple of weeks. And um, when I was over in Virginia, um, he sent me a text and was like, Kelvin, I'm so proud of you. Like, you are creating opportunities for kids that look like us and you're my hero. And that's when I was like, oh, this is why we do this, right? Um, this is why um, we continue the work that we do because it's not about necessarily seeing um, students become engineers, doctors or lawyers, but just giving them the opportunity, the chance. And even on that trip that I was on, I just saw some kids that might've been a little more reserved turn into superstars, being in a space in which they were free judgment in a judgment free zone where they could authentically live into the, the, the identity that they have. Like I've never seen them open up the way that they did, and so for my little brother to call me his hero, um, to see little, uh, to see students that looked like me and students that went through some of the things that I went through, be able to spread their wings was something that like hit me in the gut, and it, it's also the reason why I'm, I can't get through my words right now. So, um, yeah, it, man, the students are an integral part to the reason why, and I think that I would hope that in everything that we do for the panelists to everybody in the call, like whenever we think about education and we can get really caught up into how big and monstrous the, the system is, but let's not forget the kids. 
let's make sure to always remember like why we got into this. I think this is the first for me that I tear up moderating a panel. And so again, thank you for, for the hard work that you bring and, and the stories that each of you, each of you brought. And, and I'm going to take a moderator liberty because I too want to answer the question. Oftentimes people say, oh, she works at the Gates Foundation. She just you know, throws money on the freeway. Um, not exactly the path that, that I came to. I also came through education and I channeled three, three students. First, 16-year-old Angela that I told you about. I had to battle to use Toni Morrison for my advanced placement term paper because my teacher had never heard of Toni Morrison. Even though she had already won many literary awards, I was in a very predominantly white um, school and she was so angry with me, but then she was like, fine, just use it because I went and got proof that she had won awards. And when she was handing back the papers, she said, Miss, she handed everybody their papers. She said, Miss Jones, please see me after class. Now, nobody ever wants to hear that. So I was like, man, she's going to be mad at me and my dad's going to be mad at me. And this is all not going the way I planned. And after everybody left, she handed me my paper. It said 100% A. And she said, I owe you an apology. And I would like to know if I can keep your paper because it's the best one I've ever received. So I channel her and I channel Efren, who everybody told me when I was a first year teacher, I should not waste my energy on him. I should give up on him. I had to teach Efren to read in the ninth grade, but I had a whole classroom of, of students helping me with him. And he made it as long as I was there. And the minute I left that school, he left that school, unfortunately. But I remember like we failed him as a community, as a system. And so, you know, thank you to, to Mark for asking that question to remind us why we get up um, every day and do this, this work. And the third student is a student we're never going to meet. There's somebody down the road we're never going to meet who's going to appreciate yeah. that we were the good ancestors to push on ourselves and push on these things and ask ourselves yeah. really hard questions. So, um, I know I, I've got to wrap in like like 10 seconds, and so I don't have time for, for one more question. And so what I'll do instead is just send so much gratitude for the three of you. You could have chosen to do anything else today. And as well, for those of you who tuned in, you could have chosen to do anything else today, and you chose to be here. And now the question is, what are you going to do with the information you just got? And so thank you again. Um, to our panelists. So great to have you all here. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Thanks again to Kelvin, Angie, Rebecca, and Angela for the talk. This episode of Crosscut Talks was produced by Seth Halloran and engineered by Resty Bacall and Victoria Ralph. And the event was produced by Jake Newman and Anne O'Dowd. Madeline Happold manage your audience engagement. And you can subscribe to Crosscut Talks wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please review us. We want to know what you think. For the latest political, environmental, and cultural news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. And if you would like to support the work we do at Crosscut, whether it's live events we host or the in-depth reporting we do every day, go to crosscut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to on-demand programming on Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. Crosscut Talks is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Paris Jackson. We'll be back soon with another conversation.